All right, here we go. It's been, uh, it's been a happy Lent, and this is the happiest Sunday in the middle of a happy Lent. The kids were fantastic today, so thanks to um, Pastor Nelson and Gretchen Chuck and who, whoever, whoever was responsible there. I don't exactly know. There's so many people who were working hard at that, so it was just, it was, they really, it was nice because they held their own. You know, it's always nice when things like that happen and you don't have to think about them. It's the normal thing they do really, really well, so that was really, really great. Okay, so we're four Sundays into Lent. Uh, remember the normal stuff. Come for prayers on Wednesday if you can. It's really very nice. And um, what else? We should give some money. The Russians, uh, I can't figure out if they think that I'm a soft touch. <laughs> that, you know, when your prime rate is, you know, 17%, r- reduced to 14 of course, this week, so now everything's just going to be just fine there. Or, you know... Um, but they, you know, we always give them about $10,000, ask for about $10,000. Did I tell you this already? I'm an old man, I can't remember. So I always give them $10,000. So this year, they just wrote me and asked for money for their summer camp. So what'd they ask me for? $93,000. They're like, this has worked so well with, this has worked so well with 40 kids and one pastor. We would like to do it for 500 kids and six pastors this summer. We need, it's like, a billion rubles, which comes down to, but they always translate it to me, $93,472. I'm like, really? Because I would like to have $93,000 if anybody has it. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, whatever. So we need $93,000 in the basket this, this week. It's really strong. It's not quite that strong, but it's... I actually, I actually did, the, I did the conversion rate to see if that was at the street value or at the official value. They converted it at the official value. So if they change it on the street, they could probably triple that money. Uh, but, of course, you can also, that Moscow jail, you know, there's this jail in Moscow, kind of infamous, where if something goes wrong, they just throw you there for a couple of days to soften you up. I mean, really, like the rats race you to your food if you get food. It's a bad place. And so I'm always nervous when, they're, when they, I'm just always nervous when I'm in Russia. There you go. How about that? <laughs> They're always, because they're always saying, I mean, I just talked to Pastor Nelson this week about how he went to this hospital with some people, and it took him about three hours to wait whether he would go, and, but they're always like, okay, don't talk now. So it'd be like, in a car, don't talk, you're on the street, don't talk, you're in the hospital, don't, don't talk. So, all right, well, whatever, so if you have $93,000, put it in the basket, and if we get to ten, that'll be fine, but we'll see what happens, okay? All right, here we go, Lent 4, uh, Four in, so, uh, Lytara. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, John 12. O God, merciful and everlasting, you didn't spare your only son, but you gave him up for us, that he, the true bread of life, might feed and refresh us. Grant, we beg you, that we may receive him gladly and thus be strengthened in every peril and finally be saved to all eternity through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, Let's see, what else is cooking? Just the normal stuff. Let's see if we can get through Easter in one piece. Um, It's actually, the services have been phenomenal. Music has been great again this morning and you all have been great. For whatever reason, attendance is way up and so, you know, bring your friends to church. It's just a... Kind of the flow, if you can feel the flow of the service over the past three or four weeks is exactly what we want. You know, we have periods, we, you know, we have better periods and worse periods of how the flow of the liturgy works. But, 
you can just feel it. You, immediately you can feel it when you're, when you're in it. Like just the last three or four weeks has been precisely, it's been precisely what we want. The way you respond, the way people have worked, the way music has come. It just has been, and always for us, you know, the question so much is about managing success. How do we continue to do that? You know, not get lazy, not get disrespectful, you know, keep coming, but not get prissy or, or you know, snappy about it. Anyway, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very nice Lent so far. And today was, I mean, the first service was no exception. It was really quite, quite remarkable. So, anyway, great. However, I will, uh, you know, you all know that occasionally pagans act like, I mean, I, no, occasionally Christians act like pagans. Pagans act like Christians sometimes, too. But uh, occasionally Christians act like pagans. And I was thinking about what we've been doing in terms of, our own interactions. So we've all, you know, since the autumn, we've worked toward, you know, thinking about how we can make a good witness to people in the world. And that's fantastic. But I just thought about whether this same notion, if this same notion was applied to ourselves, what would happen? So often, um, churches can be difficult places. There's, there's no need for that. And it's always a mark of sinfulness and everybody being wrong on all sides, you know. However, you start to think about how that can be cured. There's a range of ways it can be cured. And, and we've done often a good job with that, with just an appeal to word and sacrament, to the holy touch of Jesus, to the disciplines that come. But now, you know, the darkness is always there, right? I mean, we have this, I just said it's how great it is, but there are always clouds on the horizon, and soon there will be trouble. You know, And here's the really important for us all to understand. Even if we maintain, we invite attack from things that are demonic. So we could carry on perfectly fine, and trouble is still going to find us. As the Catechism says, it doesn't always find you from the inside. Sometimes it finds you from the outside. The devil, the world, our flesh. Two of those three are outside you. So we could sort of carry on, and everything could be fine, and we could keep the disciplines and just keep going. You could throw $93,000 in the basket, and it could still all go badly by next week. So the question is, how do you care for things uh, sometimes when things go badly? Or how do you, what do you do with Christians that go off track? And it's a delicate thing because often, you know, we, we, um, you know, we're damned by inches so often in life and in the church. Yes, it's rare that somebody just goes off the rail and becomes an axe murderer. Usually it's um, bit by bit, part by part. You know, our hardest thing was some people just kind of lose interest. Jesus talked about this when he talked about how grain grows. You know, some people... 30, 60, 90, life is great. But, you know, for some people, it's kind of quick, and then it goes away. Some people just kind of never get going. And Jesus talked about this, and we only have, always have to reflect on that. In any case, when that happens, I'm not saying that we are pagans, but sometimes, you know, we kind of act like pagans. And part of it, then, is this, I, I was just curious. I, I was kind of pitching around for a text to see whether there was a place where um, Christians got a bit recalcitrant and then the Lord sort of put the same thing to them that he did to um, all these other people who have been unbelievers who we've talked to. So um, Luke uh, 5 is where I want to take you. So I've done one and then two. The, the method so far we've watched is that Jesus is present to people, so he comes to people. You know, the great, you know, Von Rod's great Genesis testimony, uh, Genesis 12, you know, he says, you know, God comes to Abraham, and from that moment, God does every verb in the Scripture. The great notion of Scripture is always from God to us. So God comes to people, right? God comes to us. Um, God is present to us. God is kind to us. God listens to us. You see all this in Jesus. Then the occasional question, and 
um, you know, off Jesus goes. You've all got a regular Bible, so we'll read the other um, weird, strange, hippie Bible. It's toward the end of your stuff, right? So just kind of go almost toward the end of your thing. From Eugene Peterson, who's a pretty reliable guy, actually, okay? So once when I gave you the Galatians bit, because if we get that far, we won't. I can tell already we're not going to get there. But if we get that far, the Galatians bit is a nice little exposition. I'll just go to the end then, because what I'm going to say to you. It's a nice little exposition of how Christians treat each other, but especially verse 10. Hey, do some good. Would you just do some good? Here's Paul, who's all about, by grace through faith, hey, do some good. Let's do some good. Which is everywhere in Scripture, and sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. So push that away for your readings this week. But Luke 5, once when Jesus was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, so the Sea of Galilee, right? The crowd was leaning in. crowd's pushing on him to better hear the word of God. So this is interesting. Jesus has already done some things that has drawn people's attention. What has he done? Well, Jesus has been present to people. He's been kind. What has he done? Well, he's healed people in a place where there weren't very many doctors. And he's been kind to people where there's a strong sense of you're in and you're out, right? So Jesus has healed people and he's been kind. And Jesus has spoken in a way that people haven't heard it before. And so then... They said, this man speaks with authority, which is different than power. Authority washes over you with a welcomeness. Power forces you to do something. Authority invites you to something that you can't believe. It invites you, as they say, after the resurrection. They couldn't believe it because it was too good to be true, right? That's the authority of Christ, that it engages people in a way where they say, I would like some of that, please. How can I have some of that, please? And there is this understanding, which Luther knew well, that the Lord's words do what they say. So when he preaches, things happen. Faith is created. People are adopted into the family of God. Bread becomes body, wine becomes blood, and sins are dissolved, right? So you see why people are getting close. Because every gospel is a touch. It's the touch of words, or it is the touch of flesh, or it is the touch of body and blood, the touch of water. Every gospel is a touch. So they lean in. I think I told you before, we went to Kirby and I were once at Easter with some relatives in um, Connecticut. The bishop came to that parish on Easter because it was a well-heeled parish. And when the bishop went with the Aspergill down the aisle, we were kind of, you know, three-quarters of the way back. You could see people lean in. Like they wanted the water and the blessing of the bishop. It was, it was just interesting. It was just like, this is just a natural reaction. You want to get close to things that are good for you, okay? That's what's happening. Jesus noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them. They were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's, and he asked to be put out a little bit from the shore. Now, this takes some work because there are currents and there's fresh water. You who went to Israel, we were at this spot. You remember that? The, it's, it's in the northern part. The water flows in. There are currents there. It's shallow next to the shore. It drops off. It's deep. It's dangerous to swim there. You have to be careful. Um, and it takes some uh, seamanship to be able to keep the boat in one spot because what happens now is the boat becomes a pulpit. So now, now Peter has to go to work to keep Jesus near. It's a very interesting <laughs> idea, right? So you should in the back of your head tuck away. How do I go to work to keep Jesus near other folk, right? Sitting there, using the boat for pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, 
push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, this is actually a bad translation. He doesn't actually say master there, because if it says master, what do you think the, what do you think the word is behind that? What's, what, I'm sorry, what do you think the, uh, the Jewish word for master usually is? Rabbi. It's not rabbi. What's really interesting is the word here, we'll get to it, is boss. It's like, hey boss, that's what it's like. It's not, it's not the word for master. This is like, and it could be a bit sarcastic because after all, Jesus doesn't know anything about fish, apparently, right? Hey boss, we've been fishing hard all night. Hey, we're hard workers, okay, here in this parish. We know exactly what to do, and now you think you're smarter than we are? You're going to push us around a little bit? Because all night shift and working hard, and this is what we do. This is not what you do. You do other stuff. We do this. Be careful. And haven't caught a minnow, but if you say so, I'll let out the nets. You've said this to your spouse? Okay, I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but if you say so, I'd be happy to do this and prove to you you're wrong. Well, maybe our marriage is different. The great dishwasher controversy. You Facebooker. See, you shouldn't be on Facebook. It is not good for you, and you don't need to know that much about me. All right, so, uh, by the way, I decided to lose because it made my life easier. No sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They wave to their partners because they're too smart to yell at them because sound travels over water more than it does over land. And so if you just got rich, you're like, you don't yell, right? You wave people in. No, really, you wave them over like, this is going to be great. Um, come help, but they filled the boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Now there's a really interesting reaction here. So Jesus has been present. Jesus has been kind. Jesus has asked a question. Hey, can I use your boat? I mean, I kind of, I kind of, kind of, you see, isn't this interesting? This is exactly the way he's engaged all these pagans and kind of lapsed people and fringe elements. And now it's the first bishop of the church. He's, I mean, he's talking to the Pope here. Just checking. <laughs> Some of you are true believers. Most of you um, vomited in your mouth just a little bit there. But I, I'm with you, okay, you know, you just, we know who you are, or maybe we don't. Um, so, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner. This is an interesting translation. I can't handle the holiness. And occasionally we get people, we get people who leave the church occasionally who say just that, which is always a great failure for us because it means we pushed them too hard. But sometimes people say, this is just too much, man. I gotta go to, I'm either not going to go to church or I'm going to go to a church, it's often put, that demands less. Now, here's the thing. The trick in a church is to be just as religious as Jesus. If you're more religious than Jesus, you're a Pharisee. And if you're less religious than Jesus, you're a publican. So the trick is to be exactly as religious as Jesus. No more, no less. If you bind up burdens that are hard for bare people, you discourage them and you're not doing the work of Jesus. If you don't remind people that the way, if you don't remind people that the way is narrow and often steep, and fraught with peril, uh, you just don't know anything about where this story ends up, which is Good Friday from noon to three. Okay, so it's very important to, to, to keep this in context. You know the whole story, so you can already read this in terms of where it's going to go. He fell to his knees, Master, leave me. I'm a sinner. I can't handle holiness, which does show you in some sense that Peter doesn't quite understand holiness, but he does understand holiness. Leave me to myself. Which is, you know, ah, just, that's just such an interesting comment. Leaving. When they pulled in the catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon, everybody with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. 
Jesus said to Simon, this is great. No phobos, no fear. It's a regular, as Jesus says this at the tomb, don't be afraid. Jesus says this when the boat's on the water. What are you afraid of? You think I was going to let you die? I mean, you probably have had that prayer on your own lips before. You probably have wondered a time or two in your life if the Lord was actually going to let you die. It's, a, it's kind of a terrifying thing, actually, to be cognizant of what's happening to you. It doesn't have to be always physical. It could be mental or spiritual. But, but the pain is so great. You kind, of, you kind of say to the Lord, like, you're going to kill me? I mean, you're going to kill me with this? Really? And that's a very interesting prayer, right? So there's, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be catching men and women. They pulled the boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and they followed him. Okay, so we want to kind of chase that through today. What can Christians do when their friends act like pagan? I'm just leaving number two and going to number three. This week will be for those of you who like to follow the numbers. Last week was for the people who don't like numbers at all. There are all kinds of people in the world, but always by the time we get to the end, you should be able to have all of this, okay? You still okay? All right, so this is what Jesus came to do. Yes, you may. No, it's different, actually. It is now, now when you, you quiz me, I can't remember if I put in the second one, because I went and, I went and uh, looked at that. I don't think it's rabbi, um, but it is not the same. So thank you very much for pointing that out. Um, maybe I did, uh, I did, in fact, go check it, and it's not the same. It's a respectful term the second time around. Whatever that Greek is that's translated, it's not the one, okay? That's a great question, because you see the shift in focus, right? So it's kind of sassy, Peter, and then there's just like, I mean, the guy. The poles, right? I mean, but we're all like that. All right, so Jesus has told you what he's going to do. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So what Jesus was doing is to to touch people with the word. That's what he's meant to do. Note that Luke and Jesus considers those present, you know, at least to be hearers. Now here's the thing. Jesus, you just don't see Jesus, and so you just cannot see us. You just do not see Jesus saying to people, you're out. I, just, I can't even think of a story where any place where Jesus rolls into town and says to people, you're out. Even the people that Jesus really doesn't like, Jesus engages. Right? So, you know, it's just Jesus is... And just as an aside for you, you know, we, we have the catechumen on Saturday mornings. It's done now. For, we've got the new group is coming in. Be nice to them. Um, because I've been telling them you're nice, so you've got to be nice now, <laughs> okay? In the early church, this a hearer, this is a technical word. Luke is all about, you know, Luke is the long gospel. On the lectern, he's the ox. He's the lunch pail Chicago Bears blue-collar gospel guy. He explains everything. It's long because he doesn't presume anything, right? And so hearers is this technical language for akuo, right? Catechumenate, you can hear how they fit together. Akuo, acoustics, catechumenate, it's all the same roots, right? So you're a hearer. You, you hear and then you sort of say thank you very much and then you buy in and then you wash feet and off to the races you go. So a catechumenate is one who hears and embraces the Word of God. Talked about this very early in the church. So you've got this crowd, point forward, leaning in. And here's all that Jesus has done. You know, he's preached his first sermon, he's taught, he's cast out demons in Capernaum, he's healed the sick, he's preached. All that's happened, we're only in, in, in 5, chapter 5 of Luke. So Jesus has made, he's made this point of going to people, being present to them, listening to them, and being kind to them. And then finally, they're willing to listen to him. Okay? 
so often in the church, and this happens in the church too, is we're very rarely to tell people exactly what we think. And I just, you know, I have, a, I have a fuse of about three and a half seconds for church politics. Because, because here's the thing, and this is a tough thing in Lutheranism. I think maybe it's because, you know, it's our roots as being in rebellion in some sense, which, I, which is not bad. I mean, things need to, but it's, it's very hard to be different than your parents, right? I mean, you go home and look in the mirror, you have become your father or your mother for better. Hey, yeah, if you want to get to your wife, go home and say, like, you've turned into your mother. Just come back and let me know how that goes, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. That's stupid. Um, but the thing, it's very hard for us to come free. So sometimes Lutherans, you know, this famous Lutheran saying, which I kind of liked more when I was younger, but not so much now, which is, if you say I can't, if you say I must, I won't. And if you say I can't, I will. If you say I can't, I will. If you say I must, I won't. I mean, that was kind of the, this second-generation Lutheran credo. In some senses, it works, but it's a tough way to go through life always as a rebel. It's a, tough, it's a tough way. You burn a lot of bridges. You don't see Jesus doing that very much except in extreme circumstances. So Reformation, okay, extreme circumstance. But in normal life, we're very interested in telling people often, you know, the 8% where they're wrong rather than the 92% where they're correct. And if you do that in your relationships, frankly, people just get tired of it. You're irritating. So, you know, partly, you know, we, we deal, deal very publicly with, with the positive things in each other. And, you know, Matthew 18, kind of quietly, in, long, in a long-suffering way, we'll get to that in a little while, with people who are, you know, gone off the rails. Just, we seem, to reverse, we seem to reverse the paradigm of Jesus, and I think it's frankly not good for us in the church. So how does Jesus come? He comes very kindly. He does good to people. He asked him a question about my wife. Her greatest skill is sitting with a stranger at a wedding reception, especially as the pastor's wife. My wife could talk the bark off a tree. (laughs) So what's so interesting is, if you actually, you'd make our marriage better if you talked to her, because if if she has, say, like 25,000 words, and I'm a classic introvert, when I need to recharge, I need to go alone in the woods, okay? And when she needs to recharge, she needs to go bowling with a couple of teams. So um, she has about 25,000 words. I have about 3,000 words. I burn most of them in the sermon, and then I go home and I stare at her. But she's ready. So if you talk to her, what you do is you help my marriage. I'm just just sort of putting this on the side, because she needs to get some rest, and that means she needs to talk to you about something, okay? But actually, her greatest, her greatest, and so I've just, you know, she, her partner took her to a thing, and she sat next to some big hotshot hedge fund guy in, you know, in Chicago the other week. And so she became his best friend, and the partner wanted to know how that happened. And Kirby, what did Kirby say? Because I've been to a lot of wedding receptions as a pastor's <laughs> wife. It's exactly the same technique. Of course, it's not exactly the same pay. I'm trying to get her that hedge fund wife job thing, because then she could give $93,000 for the Russians. <laughs> But, I mean, the, the moral of the story, of course, is, is that we can, we can go to, a, it's often very difficult. If you're a pastor, I mean, there are some places where things are, life is really dangerous, on an airplane, for example. So if we're on an airplane, and if Kirby wants to talk to somebody, she doesn't tell them I'm a pastor. And if I want to sleep, I go, hey, I'm a pastor, good night. <laughs> and nobody's feelings are hurt. Because most people have, unless they, the only weird part where it really kinks up is when somebody goes, this is great because I've been meaning to confess this for a long time. I'm like, no, really, that happens. And you're like, 
But, but quite honestly, um, you know, from being to a thousand wedding receptions, seated, I mean, people seated with us at the unlucky table. There'll be no fun here. You're at the pastor's table, right? And she has the ability to actually get people's whole life story. And what's so interesting is, is like, when we leave, they think, you're our new best friends. And I'm like, you don't know anything about us. <laughs> but why do they feel that way? Because somebody asked a lot of questions, right? This is just an interesting, interesting thing, you know? So it's, it's, it's like, you're like the baby Jesus to me. I should try to remember that. Okay, so, um, you know, all these people who are, who are hurting, sick, you know, struggling, broken, Jesus comes to them and talks to them like he's their best friend. We could learn something from this even in the church. Folks are seeking, number five. So by all accounts, Simon's this pretty righteous man. And um, one of the interesting things about Simon is he's a good sport. He lets Jesus borrow his boat. If you go to church, if you pay a lot of money for, if you go to things on how to make your church work, they'll tell you a lot of stuff that you already knew, but they still cash your check. One of the things they always tell you is to give people a job to do. This was the whole find your spot, work your spot thing. But you notice that Jesus is very clever about this. One of the ways, if you, if you can do this up to and not beyond the level of propriety. One of the great things in a church is when you say to somebody, hey, can you please do this for us? You've got to be careful about not pressing people too far. You've got to be careful about not pressing the same people. But look at, look at how Jesus makes the church sticky. Look at how even as he's fishing for other people, he's reeling Peter in. Hey, can I use your boat? Because this is, you know, Peter's like, yeah, yeah, okay, now here's the thing about Peter. Peter has to work because the fresh water's coming in. It's deep. It's shallow. You remember you who were there, you remember to the north, is, is it, it kind of flattens out and runs down. But to the west, there are hills, and you remember that the wind comes over the hills and across the lake, and it can, be, it can feel like a hurricane on the lake, right? So the thing is, is that Peter has to work the whole time. It's very interesting. Peter's not the focus, but Peter's always at work, but Peter really is the focus because it's the story about Peter. So Peter's working to keep the boat in the same place. He's got to keep the pulpit, you know, roughly in the same place. He's got to keep it near enough that Jesus can hear. And you remember you who there was kind of a little bit of an amphitheater, um, you know, it's hills. And so and not a lot of, there's not a lot of truck noise then or airplanes going over. So, and, and voice does carry over the water, so there's some natural help. I'm going to turn the page. So Jesus goes there. And, um, but Jesus already, six, after he's been very kind. So I just sort of put this for your own use, you know. You know, there's always all kinds of people in the church. Um, you know, you know, there's some people, some of you who are fixer types. You know, you want everything fixed right now, and if things aren't fixed, people aren't fixed, by God, you're going to fix them, right? Someday I'll tell you the story of Kirby's cherry pie at the very first pie contest chili thing that you went to. I'll just tell you the whole story. No, I'll just tell you the punchline. When, when Kirby brought her pie, where all the women were supposed to bring a pie, they took her pie like this, and then they slid it under the counter. <laughs> know why? That is the best construction on everything. You are going straight to church. No, as she came in, she admitted that she had used a pre-made pie crust and not made it from scratch, here's the key, using lots of butter. You know, so, I mean, what do you do with the, you know, best wine for last and all that, right? We've heard that story in the scripture. 
So that pie is still probably still <laughs> under the counter. It was a great humiliation for our family. <laughs> Wasn't your fault. It doesn't bother me either, but it was a hilarious. It was hilarious. It was, it was a great pie, too, by the way, but, you know, never mind. So the point is, you know, you kind of, kind of look around, the, and, you, and Jesus has this amazing thing of kind of sussing people out and figuring out where they can be used. It's just so interesting, right? So these people come, and they're very expectant, and um, you should be asking yourself, you know, what you've got. I mean, part of it, we did this for almost a year. You know, what have you got that other people don't have? There's only one like you. And what have you got that other people don't have that you can sort of kick into the common good? Peter's got a boat. He's also got some other things. Um, very, very interesting. So you've got this very difficult situation. People have been up all night. It's hot. It's smelly. You know, if you go on a dig in Israel, you work from 5 in the morning till about 10 or 11. Then you have to stop. It just gets so hot. You just can't work. You know, it gets above 100 degrees and it's scorching. So, I mean, this is what's happening. Night, the night shift is over. You know, people are going, it's hot, it's smelly, it's noisy, it's busy. People are leaning in on each other. It's typical Middle Eastern bazaar kind of stuff, even though it's out in the country. Now, um, number eight, things get sort of uh, interesting because Simon is such a character, right? He said to him, you know, hey, can I use your boat, right? But there is in Peter this notion that Jesus doesn't quite know what he's doing. This will not be the first or last time that Peter doesn't think that Jesus quite knows. For example, when he says, I'm going to the cross, and he's like, that's stupid. And then he's like, you know, why don't you sit me, you know, right hand, left hand. And it's like, I'm not in charge of the seating assignments. And, you know, Peter regularly has some really, really good advice for Jesus. You regularly have some really, really good advice for Jesus, right? You know, my advice to you is probably to take more advice from Jesus than give less advice. Usually Jesus knows what he's doing, which is what Peter's about to find out, right? But there is a sense that, and this is, this is um, very interesting, there is a sense that the church is only smart about its things, or as if the church only goes so far and then the real world kicks in. Here's the thing, man. The church is the real world. We get everything that's out there, it's just on a different frequency, hopefully a better frequency. But um, there is this sense that uh, Jesus should sort of mind his own business, so Peter's like, yeah, I've been working all night. And by the way, I'm a fisherman. And you get that then if you turn the page under number 10 in the boss word, right? This um, Jesus is like, verse 4, push out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay? And it's like, what, what am I, stupid? You know, I, I just, we just did that. Everybody knows that you find the fish in the shallow water in the dark. Everybody knows that. Shallow water in the dark. It gets hot, the fish go to deep water, you can't get to them. Everybody knows, everybody who knows anything about any, this is much like, you know, I'm a pastor because I can't work with my hands, right? It's much like that. It's like Peter's like, you can't work with your hands. All that time in the carpenter shop, you didn't learn anything about fishing. Just like, okay. Um, But, I mean, there's something at least enough in Peter. I don't know, you know, what is it in Peter? At least he can... I guess I would say to you, in the church, often you should follow instructions over your better judgment, right? So this is a, he's a person of faith because he obviously, you know, is, hopefully it's more than Middle Eastern hospitality. You healed my mother-in-law, so I let you use my boat. Hope, hopefully there's more than that going on there. 
But, I mean, he's in disagreement. I mean, he's kicking and screaming toward where Jesus has taken him. But, um, 11, then Jesus breaks the nets, swamps the boats, which is often how your life will be if you would just let Jesus have a crack at you. The disciplines of Lent, and I hope that you're, you know, we've sort of talked, we talked a whole year about the disciplines, you know, and many of you, I've talked to you just kind of on the side a little bit about fasting and a little bit about giving, a little bit about your prayers. Even that, though, is really interesting, has an interesting tenor this year, that people are not struggling quite so much, it seems to me. Now, maybe if you're struggling, you haven't talked to me, but it seems to me that people have embraced this more because there is this sense that if I just do what the baby Jesus asked me to do, things are going to all work out okay. I can't, I can't tell you that the disciplines will reward you, you personally, in this life. But I can tell you that the disciplines will reward at some point, okay? Maybe somebody else, maybe your family, might be the people around you. But as Luther, you know, said, all sin, you know, is curved in on itself. And what Jesus does, you know, what Jesus does is try to get your chin up. What Jesus tries to say to you is, love God and serve your neighbor, right? So you're at point three, four, five, six, seven, someplace in there. And if you evaluate all your life in terms of what is in this for me, you are no Christian. That is somebody else. That is something else. To be Christian is to say, Jesus bids me, Jesus asks me, Jesus gathers me, Jesus illumines me, Jesus energizes me, Jesus sends me in a particular direction, and so in that direction I go. I say what Jesus says. I do what Jesus does. I aim at the things he tells me to aim for. I touch holy things. I don't touch holy things, and the chips fall where they may. That's the Christian life, right? If you need... Any confirmation that that's a Christian life, you have to go no farther than the disciples. You know, 11 of the 12, well, I mean, the 10 of the 11, you know, 12 didn't work so well, but 11 of the, 10 of the 11 are martyred, right? Only John survives to write. Only John, you know, has a long, a long life. But they're the apostles, for goodness sakes. So if you, if you measure time in terms of, you know, you know, man's years are, you know, four score, and you get it, that you just can't get it wrong. You have to have this long view of the eternal word speaks a word, and with that word, he shows you the path to eternity. That's, you have to, I mean, you have to understand it in that way. Now, here's the difficulty, point 12. Peter has just won the lottery. I mean, this is like when you have two boats full because you kind of think about this. You're, you're many, I grew up in a you know, family with a small business. Um, you know, small businessmen are subject to maybe more than big business people because they can't borrow money so well, and their costs are higher, and everything seems like it's on the edge all the time. So Peter, this small business guy, suddenly is rich. I mean, two boatloads of fish is winning the lottery. So literally, think about it this way. Peter is suddenly a rich man. It's so interesting. I've known, since I've been in this congregation, I've known four or five people who have really gotten really, really rich. They haven't actually done that well. It's a little disappointing. But they were, it was earlier. It would be interesting to, to see, like, if some of you, you know, has the next great thing. It would be really interesting to see how you do with that. It's exactly the same thing that Peter faces. But we've already seen this story. We've seen this story in Zacchaeus. We've seen this story in the rich young ruler. Isn't it interesting that the test case comes again for Jesus by making the guy rich? 
Like you're wildly successful beyond what you could ever imagine. And now the thing is, is, so, I mean, think about all the things we've talked about tithing. Jesus trusts you with this, and do you trust Jesus back? That's the question. Right? So he delivers this, and Peter is he, this word for astonished. You know, it just, it, the word actually means that he's possessed by this. You've, you've had this happen in your life. There are, some things, there are some things that happen to you in your life that grip you, right? You might be in trouble most of your life, but occasionally something happens. Occasionally something that's bigger than you, that was unimaginable, right? Occasionally something happens to you where it, is, it, 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 it possesses you. That's the word that's used here. So what Jesus does here, astonished is how it gets translated, but it's not good enough. Astonished is still like your content. This is like, this is like tidal wave stuff happening to St. Peter. And now, you know, he's at this, this point where he has the choice of, real honestly, he can stay here and be rich, enjoy all the things he's ever dreamed of, all the things that are at the edge of his imagination. Whatever he's imagined, he's there now, right? And Jesus gives him that in an instant and then says, and by the way, none of that's really important. You want to see something really cool? And that is a difficult thing. To some of you, that will happen. You know, to some, especially some of you who are younger. You know, that will happen to some of you. It's going to be very interesting to see how your lives play out. But the point is, if you prepare now with the disciplines, if you prepare now by going to the Eucharist, if you prepare now tithing, if you prepare now being really, really kind to people, when you're gripped by that, it'll be obvious what it is that you're meant to do because the presence of Jesus relativizes all the rest of that. Okay? And if you, don't, if you aren't reminded of that every time you go to the Eucharist, if you stop coming to the Eucharist, you'll forget that and you will not act well. And then your life will not be useful to you, those you love, or even to those outside the church. It's a fascinating thing. You know? So, um, 13, his first response, you should probably leave me alone, which is often your first response and mine too. I mean, I have no interest particularly in any more discomfort than I've already got in my life, and frankly, I like my life when it goes along well. And to have Jesus um, invite me into discomfort is not, you know, right at the top of my list of things I'd like to do today, right? And you got to remember, this is the same thing that, that the rich man said, the rich young guy, we did this last time. I gotta, I gotta go, man. I just cannot. This is just gonna be too much for me. Now, the difference between those two guys is subtle. So it's kind of at the bottom of the page under 13. What's, what's really interesting is, is that the rich young man talked about himself as the reason for leaving. And this makes all the difference. The rich young man talked about himself. I gotta go because I can't take this. This is not what I want. I have really a different idea of what life should be about. Peter actually says something very different. You're too much for me. It's the difference between being turned in on yourself and being up. It's a very different thing when you look at your own heart and you say, it's not what I want, it's too much for me, I can't take it. Or you look up at Jesus, you say, I just cannot. I the difference between those two things are the difference between law and gospel. It's the difference between darkness and light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. It is the difference between Zechariah, when he was struck dumb, your wife's going to have a baby. And he's like, I can't figure out how that's going to work out for me. Okay, then you can't talk anymore until the baby's born. 
so you should pray for a baby. Or the Blessed Virgin Mother, the angel comes and says, I'd like to be pregnant through your ear. And then she says, I went to health class. How's God going to do that? You know, right? So one guy is saying, it's all about me. And the other guy is saying, it's all about God. This is very interesting that Peter's response and Mary's response are the same. They're Christocentric. They're all about Christ. They're not about themselves. Okay? I would suggest to you then that this is precisely what happens to every great saint in the scripture. This happens to Moses. This happens to David. This happens to Isaiah. This happens to the baptizer. This happens to all the saints. They're not all sterling figures, by the way. But what makes the difference between those who live as saints, those who are alive to Christ, those who actually get something done in the church, those who understand the kingdom of God, is that the focus is out and on Christ and the cross and the Eucharist and baptism and the viva box, the living word. The focus is out as opposed to the focus is in. And so I suggest to you then, just above 14, that pastoral care at its heart is always about replenishing this awe. And so this is why things have to be great on, this is why the music has to be great on Sunday morning. This is why the preaching has to be great on Sunday morning. This is why the liturgy has to work. This is why you need to be kind. This is why your kids need to be calm. This is why you need to drink coffee with each other. This is why you need to go to wedding receptions and talk to people. This is why you need to live as a Christian. This is why you fast. This is why you tithe. This is why you say your prayers at night. This is why. Because these things replenish the awe. And when something grips you like that, you're grateful for it. You might be frightened of it. Ah, depart from me, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. But what does he do at the end of the story? He leaves his boats and he follows. Right? It takes us time. We're human beings. It takes us a while to process. It's one of the hardest things to learn. You go to pastor school and they teach you all these things, A and B and then C should follow. And you think to yourself, it should follow in the next eight sentences. Then you come to a congregation and what happens? People are staring at you like a cow stares at a new gate. And then you're like... How, why is this taking so long? <laughs> right? Because it takes a while for people to process. That's why. I mean, even Peter, like, there's this, like, doo, 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 doo. here's this guy, and he's talked to me, and he's been really nice, and he put me to work, and now he's made me rich, and now he wants to change course. Okay. So part of what happens here is we need to always replenish the, law, the, the awe of what goes on. Remember, memory, then gratitude, and then humility. So awe, awe. Memory, gratitude, humility. That's the sequence. That's the sequence, how it works. I'm a sinner. And so Jesus closes the gap. I'm going to flip the page. Did I get to the end? Not quite. You can read the Luther bits if you want, uh, but we have to go. But the point is, of course, is that um, Jesus has this way of working with us that doesn't shame us or humiliate us, it actually surprises us and energizes us, and frankly, it lets him get some good out of us. And it was kind of remarkable to look through and see that he does exactly the same thing to Christians that he does to pagans, which would tell you then that you, you don't have as much to remember when you engage the world or engage people. Be present, be kind. Be, peasant, be present, be kind. Right? Ask a few questions. Say a thing or two. We always do it the other way around. We start by lecturing people. And we try to work it all the way back to, and then you should be in church, present with Jesus. I'm like, Jesus does it exactly the opposite. Jesus is present, and Jesus is kind. Jesus, you know, asks a question or two, and then gives his blessing, and then, you know, pulls people into the next thing. we got to go. Love you. 
Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you in church.